We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hi, I'm Dominic Patton. And I'm Anthony D'Alessandro. And this is the Deadline Podcast, Hero Nation. Today, we'll be talking about this weekend's The Suicide Squad from James Gunn, more Phase 4 on the MCU with Hawkeye and upcoming animated series What If, and more on Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow lawsuit. Also, we've got Arrow alum and Heels star Stephen Amell with us today. So we're jam packed, but let's let let's let's kind of go back into the middle. It's been just over a week. Scarlett Johansson publicly shamed the Walt Disney Company by saying they basically ripped her off by putting Black Widow, the much delayed Black Widow, onto streaming as well as in theaters. Disney shot back, and uh, well, D- Disney responded uh, by trying to shame Scarlett by saying that she was basically not being considerate of what people were going through in the pandemic and by the fact she got paid $20 million. Following that, her agent, CAA Kingpin Brian Lord, came out and said, hey, this is not the way we think Disney should do business. And there's been a million rumors about the two bobs at Disney infighting. Uh, did Zenyamuchi, her retirement, so to speak, was this her last, her last bombing, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Anthony, with a little bit of the distance of time, how does the, the Scarlet lawsuit look to you right now? Well, you know, Dom, I was under the impression we would begin to see more talent coming out, like um, Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz, kind of like- Maybe Emily Blunt. Yeah, hurling lawsuits. That doesn't seem to be the case. And you have a great insight on this. You think, sorry, to you think it's one and done. I kind of do. I, I kind of do because I, you know, we've talked about this before a little bit, but I'll reiterate. There, there, there's, I mean, one word here has to be emphasized over and over: arbitration. Um, and there is clearly an arbitration clause in her lawsuit, which is, is, you know, for many ways why she chose not to go after them for breach of contract. You know, because I think she wanted to be very specific to keep this in in the courts where it can be. You know, let's be honest. There's there's us and there's many other people who are there's a media spotlight on this that plays out in many different ways. And 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 there is uh, you know Scarlett Johansson is an immensely talented uh, actress, uh, very smart pro- executive producer, and and someone who you really shouldn't mess with. Um, on the flip side, the House of Mouse have a have a way they're doing things, and they're definitely it, it's no secret to anyone, especially from a film much delayed that they were pivoting towards Disney Plus as the main platform and venue for them, especially during the pandemic. Though there are upcoming Marvel movies that will not be seen on Disney Plus. So I really think that there is a, there is a tendency to see this as a larger thing. I think her case is very particular, you know? And I think that the, particular, the particulars and specifics of this are what is going to see it go forward. I'm pretty sure that when Disney do respond in the docket, it is going to be, we think this is BS. We think this is BS. We think this is BS. But the main point underneath all of those fireworks are going to be 
and we want this move to arbitration. And we want this behind closed doors and we want to talk this out. And, and as you and I talked about last week, there'll be some way in which Scarlett will receive some money um, and they'll find a revenue stream to kind of make everyone happy. But one that keeps this so going forward, people aren't looking for more because of the changing nature of their, of their platforms of which their projects are being screened or displayed. So what's your take on when these situations come up and people try to negotiate in the press, good thing or a bad thing? Well, it's great for us. Oh, it's great for us. Yes. Great for us. So good thing. <laughs> yeah. um, look, it's the age old expression. It's show business, not show friends. And you're going to burn bridges and because the bottom line is where the real fire is in all of this. And so I think it really depends how you play it out. I mean, the lawyers that, that, um, that Scarlett are working with are, let's be honest, used to be Donald Trump's favorite law firm. But let's also yeah. be honest, the lawyer in particular she's working with was the guy who got the huge payout for the Bones casting creators when their profit participation lawsuit back in the day. So success breeds success. CAA, as we've mentioned before, are also feeling somewhat emboldened by their success in the Walking Dead profit participation lawsuit that went on for eight years and saw them just, uh, just under two weeks ago get paid out um, $200 million to Frank, uh, to Frank Darabont. CAA are not a named plaintiff in the Scarlet lawsuit, but they, they're in there in the background. Of course they are. Um, so I think that there's a lot of ways this plays out. A lot of it is though, is, there's a lot of people clutching their pearls. Like, I can't believe you said that, Disney. I can't believe she said that, <laughs> Brian Lord. I can't believe you said that. And, and I guess the reality is, but hold on. Of course you can believe they said that. There's no surprise here. Don't act like Bob Shapak and Bob Iger are, are butting heads about this. You don't think that that that, that everybody was sat in, on a conference call and went through that response. Everybody knew this was coming, et cetera, et cetera. You know, these things aren't spontaneous events. Nobody catches fire in the middle of this. It, these are, these, everybody knew this was coming. Everybody knew how it was going to come. It was just about exactly when it was going to come. And I think that's really going to be the method of which this is ultimately solved, if it is solved. As a Warner Brothers insider told me, because they had, they, well, the town reacted, um, really neg negatively to them putting their entire 2021 theatrical slate day and date on HB HBO Max. They said, the, this person said to me, the easiest thing is to just write him a check. Just write him a check and you avoid all this controversy, which brings us to Suicide Squad this coming weekend. There are gonna be some big checks written. I mean, I just wanna to, to tie this one up. You know, and this is also looking forward. You've got other people from the MCU. Obviously there's a Hawkeye TV series coming. There's another season of Loki. There's the animated series, What If, which has almost everybody doing voiceovers. So, you know, Marvel is shifting. Feige's universe is, is moving or multiverse is moving. There are gonna be more discussions like this. Honestly, there are discussions like Scarlet's lawsuit all the time. They just happen out of the public realm. This was one of those ones that went public and that's where the spillover is gonna be. And I guess in a completely different context, spillover we're gonna see with Suicide Squad as well. What's mm -hmm. your prediction? How's it gonna do? Cause we, let's, let's uh, quickly, we wanna to talk to our head heel, Stephen, but, but like, what do you, how do you think Suicide Squad is gonna do? On HBO Max, also in the theaters, COVID, yeah. var Delta variant surging all over the country. I don't think here in the States, the Delta variant is really, believe it or not, not impacting the box office. We saw two movies beat their projections in the last three weeks, Jungle Cruise and Space Jam, A New Legacy. 
What's hurting and, and subtracting from this movie is a few things. Yes, the fact that it's available in homes on HBO Max, but there's also a brand thing going on. People don't know, is this a sequel? Is this a reboot? It's obviously James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. It's got fantastic reviews. It's at like something like 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I mean, it blows away like the 26% rotten on the first Suicide Squad, which as you know, David Ayer is just ticked off about. It was never his cut. And, and also blows away the results for Birds of Prey. So people think it could get to 30 million, maybe 40 million domestic, all in 70 million global this weekend. But um, it's sad because they, with by having the competition with HBO Max, we'll never really know how much this could have made at the box office. I think that how much things make at the box office, and no disrespect, my friend, to your wonderful take on the box office, that's a metric that's kind of like the Nielsen's with the networks. That's a metric that's fading. Not gone, but it's fading. I think there's a, I think there's a new reality here. I think, you know, we'll see when... Um, when the next Marvel movie comes out only in theaters, um, we'll see. I can't remember what is the status of the Eternals. Is that is that theaters? And oh, that's still the first weekend of November. And no, after Jungle Cruise here, Disney has not announced any more theatrical Disney Plus premiere day and date releases. Not saying it's not going to happen, but right now everything looks to be theatrical. Knock on wood. We'll see, and also knock on vaccinations because we'll see about going into the fall about how people are in theaters. I think I think this is as all things, and this it's a it's a tiresome conversation because it's a repetitive one, but it's also a true one. Everything's changing, and and how that change has happened did the pandemic speed some of that up? Probably, but it was all happening. These streamers were already in; they, they had already planted their seeds to 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 do what they were going to do. So we'll see. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. And with that, though, we have the star of the upcoming Heels with us, Stephen. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Well, Stephen, but, you know, lots we want to talk about, lots of legacy, lots of leaning forward. But before we do, um, I want to get a sense. You know, there's been a lot of talk about Heels, which debuts very, very soon on Stars. Um, mm -hmm. we, but I wanted to know, because, you know, when they say... Go, go, don't talk to the fruit, go to the root. Tell us what this show is about for you. Well, I mean, for, for, for me, in a lot of ways, it feels professionally like, like a graduation uh, of sorts. Um, and uh, we can get into that, but the, the, the basics of, of heels is in, in, in wrestling parlay, the good guys are the baby faces, the bad guys are the heels. The heels, in a lot of way, um, in a lot of ways, run the industry in terms of how they call the matches and the way that they can provoke the crowd. Um, you're never gonna get you're never gonna get uh, cheers as a babyface 
unless the crowd really hates the bad guy and wants to see him lose. So it's set in a fictional town, small town, Georgia. Um, and it's, it's really the story of, of two brothers in the aftermath of the death of their father. Um, the older brother, Jack's trying to keep uh, the DWL, the Duffy Wrestling League alive, uh, a league that his dad started. Uh, his biggest draw is his younger brother, Ace, played by Alexander Ludwig. And it, it's the dynamics between the two of them. It's about people wanting more. It's about life in a small town. And, and the cast of characters that, that make up um, a part of the professional wrestling industry that people, everyone that you see in professional wrestling, you know, when you see John Cena or Brock Lesnar or Hulk Hogan or Ric Flair, all of these guys at one point or another were in something like the Duffy Wrestling League and wrestled in something like the Duffy Dome. But you never really see a spotlight, Sean, on on uh, on the independent circuit of professional wrestling. Yeah. So that's where we are. Uh, Michael Waldron wrote it. He grew up uh, in Georgia, a huge wrestling fan. And you can tell because he's he's fleshed out a really interesting, colorful world that um, you know, wrestling fans may come for the wrestling and people may come for the poster, but I think they'll stick behind or stick around as the case may be for the connection that they make with the characters. Now you've got Michael Malley as a showrunner on this, um, you know, That's and, correct. You, yep. and, and, and I will just reveal, I have seen a few episodes. Um, okay. there will be a review later. We will talk. Okay. Uh, but no shit. All right. Is that but okay? I will, right. I, I will say this. It's a, it, it's, what can I use? It's incredibly immersive and you feel like yeah. you're there. And, and I know for you, I know that, that, that connection, as you said, like you can come for the wrestling, but stay for the, stay for the family, so to speak. Sure. So I, I right. for you, when you talk about, uh, when you talk about this and you talk about this as part of a, a, a of a, a story, let's talk about it as a part of an evolution of your career. Cause you know, you're not, you're not a debutante to wrestling, my friend. You've gotten yourself in the ring on a couple of times and you've certainly showed up ringside on more than one occasion. That's so correct. for that, like this is, you know, some people would look at you and go, hey, like you were, you were Oliver Queen. You know, we want to see you in a spaceship and a space suit and this and that. This was a different direction. And I wanted mm -hmm. to get a sense of career choice wise, why you went this way. Well, that we got to go, well, to do that, we got to go back to the sixth season of Arrow. Okay. Um, and that I'm always been... willing to go back to another season of Arrow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, so you and you and you and a lot of other people. Um, uh, when we got about halfway through the sixth season of Arrow, so it would have been I called up Greg Berlanti in January, and that would have been January of either 2017 or 2018. Did mm -hmm. everything blends together? But during the sixth season, I called him up and said that uh, I, I thought it was I thought it was time. Uh, to wrap it up and he said uh think about this for two weeks this is the worst phone call anyone has ever made to me professionally mm -hmm. and i so I, th I so i thought about it because he said you know once you know once we do this once i put it in motion that means a phone call to that means a phone call to peter roth and um and uh yeah, the the head of tv at warner brothers head of wbtv yeah. and a phone call to mark pedowitz who is who is still running the cw Mm -hmm. Both wonderful gentlemen, um, who I'm I'm very very thankful and grateful for, and so so I I, I thought about it, and I, I just I thought that it was I thought that it was I thought I just thought it was time, you know I I think that 
in any career in the arts, when I started Arrow, if you're thinking of if you're thinking of things like a like a pie chart, it was ninety percent about the creativity, and it was ten percent about being able to eventually buy a house and then pay a mortgage, and so it's ten percent about the finances. And as you move through, I, I don't think that that any show really, if you're being intellectually honest with yourself, is designed to go 170 episodes. You know, maybe it's designed to go 70, 80, uh, 100. And by the time we got to by the time we got to season six and season seven, I felt as though the pie chart had almost completely reversed to itself, where it was 90 percent about the financial incentive and 10 percent about the creativity. There wasn't a ton to be done with the character of Oliver Queen. And it became pretty clear to me that there wasn't a ton to be done on a macro level with with the formula of the show. The show is what the show is. It's gonna be 22 episodes. It's gonna have six act-ins and, and act-outs. And you know, even with directors, we never, if anyone really went too far outside the box, that would only be that would be the only time that they were directing the show. The show, the show had a formula. The formula worked. I don't hold it against anyone that was in the creative side of it. I actually think that they did a spectacular job. Be it Andrew Kreisberg, Mark Guggenheim, Beth Schwartz, um, anyone that we had on the writing team, but but those three people principally who ran the show through the eight years. Um, I, I don't, certainly don't hold it against them, but it it, it we had done it. Yeah, we, we we had we had done everything, and I I I will stack up playing a superhero with no superpowers on television for that many episodes in terms of degree of difficulty up against anything on TV. Frankly, any any acting job. And Rightly so I agree. And it became, so. thank you. And it became it became somewhat frustrating to feel as though you are pigeonholed a little bit uh yeah no he's doing a he's doing a cw superhero show yeah and and i i would see other other people other other peers of mine who in my mind were not not necessarily doing things that were as difficult but yet were receiving accolades within their within the industry and I would, I, I'd be lying straight to your faces if I said that, that that wasn't important to me. Additionally, over the course of eight years and all the reps that you get, it's that Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hour rule that he, that he coined in, um, that he coined in Outliers. I, I, by the way, I I'm, just think first thought, Stephen deserves an award for the Malcolm Gladwell name drop for the first time on our podcast. <laughs> Thank you We're very keeping much. Sure, I'm, and Stephen oh will my. be receiving a box of deadline wine. <laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'll, I gotta, I gotta tell you right now. As I, as I hold up his most wow. recent book that I'm reading, nice. um, the Bomber Mafia. Um, you know, I, I just thought that I thought that I had, I thought that I had another gear, and I thought that I had, I thought that I had more in the tank and more that I wanted to, to, to share with this industry and this career that I've chosen, and I wanted to be inspired again. So, Greg Berlanti, who's way smarter than I am. Um, you know, as as evidenced by his prolific nature in film and television, convinced me. Um, he, he basically put me put me to a place where it would have been fiscally irresponsible for me to not do a seventh season, and then complete it with a with a truncated eighth season. Yeah. 
But during that eight season, I got a with I had not made any overtures out into out into the world about what the next project would be. I actually hadn't even considered it, quite frankly. Stephen, I want to ask you a question, and please don't take this too personally. But you know, we're both dads of young daughters, and <laughs> I know for me, when my daughter was born, there were a lot of priorities. Some changed and some distinctly shifted. Two different things. I think you know what I mean. Anthony does mm -hmm. too. He's a father too. Did that play a role in it? I mean, you guys, look, you're Canadian born like me, but you were up in Vancouver. But did that did that change it having her? And like, this is a, I, I, did you think I want to play a different game now? A different way of playing this game? Well, 100%. I, Arrow was 23 episodes a year and it was in Vancouver. But our our life on a go forward basis is is going to be in los angeles or it or just basically it's going to be in the united states of america yeah. you know she started at a wonderful school in los angeles that's really close to her house and it, and and now she's starting she's starting kindergarten and she's starting grade one and and my family is not going to be able is not going to be able to be with me and uh um you know, I, I, I actually, I swear to God, I, I looked into the logistics of, of private aviation seriously in, in yeah. order to, in order to make this situation you, more. Do, do you more, mean, do you mean, do you mean you learning to fly? No, I mean, like, actually, I mean, like, I mean, like, how much does a plane cost? Because ah. I just, I've done, I was doing the trip from, and, and by the way, the answer was far too much. <laughs> yes, yes. I was, and, I, I and was, I'm sure, and I'm sure you were on that that 8 p.m. flight from Vancouver International Airport on Air Canada, the one that's known as the Hollywood flight. Yeah, no, I was never on that one. I was always on the 6 a.m. Alaska while it ran, and then I think ah. eventually the the 7 a.m. WestJet. But for a long time, it was the 8:50 p.m. from LAX to YVR, and we called it uh, we called it Sunday Night Flight Club. Ah, um, but nice. that. You know that 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 started to get a little old, and the show being the show and me being the titular character, there was just there was never going to be a scenario where I was going to be able to box everything into a three day week. It just it it wasn't it wasn't practical. So um, you know it, so it so my daughter did she 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 played a, she played a huge a huge factor in the decision to want to be closer to home, even if even if that meant not having to travel internationally because despite the fact that Vancouver is <laughs> closer to Los Angeles, filming in Atlanta um, in a non-pandemic time, mm -hmm. um, it, it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's just much, it's just a much simpler travel experience. Also, yeah. Heels is more of an ensemble, but I, uh, I hadn't made any overtures out into, out into the industry and my manager called me up and just said, you're going to have to pay attention to the scripts that I'm sending you because stars is going to make an offer. And, um, you know, the character's great. The writing is great. And, you know, give it a look, see. And I said, what is it? He said, it's the lead in the TV series. And I said, are you out of your mind? Really? And, but with 15 minutes into the first script, I was, I was just like, oh shit. I'm, oh man, if, if we get anywhere close to, to a deal, on this and 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 the, the numbers line up and the and and moreover and and more importantly i i jive with the the showrunner and the network and what they're trying to do um this, this is going to happen wow 
And it did. And it, it did. did. There's a lot of, there were a lot of similarities. I, I, I really, I really dug Michael Malley. We, you know, he's a Boston guy. And so we, we talked about, we talked about my recent experience at Fenway Park for the first 15 minutes of our conversation. And, you know, that felt great. And then I felt like there were a lot of similarities between Jeff Hirsch and Mark Pedowitz insofar as Jeff is, was relatively Jeff Hirsch is the head of stars. We should tell yeah, him. the CEO of stars and the, and, and I get, well, the head of the CW, um, you know, I don't know a ton about Jeff's career prior to that, but I know that he was new at stars in the same way that Mark was new at the CW. One of the first shows that, that, that Mark greenlit, I think the first show was Arrow. And I think one of the first um, projects that Jeff turned his attention to was Stars, a project that they had tried to cast back in 2017, I believe. And they just couldn't find the Spade Brothers. So the it just, it, it, everything felt, everything felt, I felt this sort of a serendipitous moment. And I had a conversation with Greg Berlanti about it. And he had the, he had the funniest line. I, I told him about it. And he goes, Stephen, is this the first thing that you've been approached about? And I said, yes. And he goes, well, Stephen, take, take my advice on this one. You're newly single. Don't go home with the first girl that winks at you at the bar. I said, oh. well, sure, Greg. But concurrently, I mean, it's, it's written by Michael Waldron. It's, it's about professional wrestling. The character's awesome. And he goes, oh, well, you buried the lead there. You should definitely do this. But Stephen, you know, it was reported that you you had a back injury during heels. Can you yep. talk, tell us about that? You know, I know for for athletes, you know, when you get an injury, it's like, okay, am I going to play again? Am I not going to play again? You know, when you're when you're doing a lot of action as an actor, does that same thing go through your head? Like, damn, I'm not going to be able to do my next stunt because you always want to portray what's real as yeah. real as you can on camera. Well, th this plays into my, you know, having a having a kiddo as well, which I think for for anyone puts you in touch with uh, your mortality for, oh, for the first for up. the first time. Yeah, 100%. I can't see, but I got double hands up here, my friend. Double hands up. It's also and... it's also called you learn to negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I and I know Stephen well enough to know that we this is a mutual experience that is definitely honing my skills. Oh yeah, no, take it from a guy who woke up at 6.30 this morning so he could go downstairs and watch an episode of The Simpsons with his daughter on Disney Plus because he wanted <laughs> okay. to spend some time Okay, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna outdo you. Six o'clock, okay. Peppa Pig on Paramount Plus. <laughs> how old is she? <laughs> how old is she? Three. Oh, okay, well, my, mine's about to be eight in October. So mm -hmm. well, thankfully we've moved past Peppa Pig and gotten into, gotten into something that both of us can enjoy. Although, although obviously the most important thing is spending time with her. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, our, our, it was, it was a, it was, a, it was frustrating. There were, there were fits and starts to the, to the first season. Um, I was, I was off for a week uh, in um, having to, having to isolate because of COVID exposure. And then I contracted COVID. So I had three weeks away from the production and then five or six days back in our first day shooting wrestling content my very first my very first setup i was doing this this move that you see in the preview called the coast to coast where i jump from one side of the ring to the other i nailed it on the first take we had it on the first take but the cameras were set up and i just thought oh, i'll take a second one i overshot it and i landed basically 
my back straight up and down, my legs straight out, my back compressed, and I suffered a compression fracture in my T10 and L1 vertebrae. So technically, I broke my back. And I was very, very lucky that it was an injury that once it's done, once it's happened, it's happened. And it's not like a crack in the windshield that's going to eventually spider out over time. It, it couldn't get any worse. I couldn't make it any worse. I just had to let it heal. And it was scary for a moment because the, because there was a lot of pain because of the, because of the surrounding musculature in my body, it really all seized up. And that, especially in your low back is very painful. Once that released, I, I was really okay. I went back to work three, four days later, three including or four a weekend. days later. Yeah. I'm yes. Dude. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, You're I suffered, fit, but that's fit fit. Well, I don't think they, I think they were, I think they were a little surprised. Um, but you know, it, it, it was they, they had to handle me with uh, they had to handle me with with kid gloves and uh, I had to have a not not to not to betray his trust but I, I did have to have a very uh, not a difficult conversation with Jeff Hirsch because you know when you're dealing with someone as as smart as he is they're never difficult conversations they're just they make they make you look in the mirror because uh, you know obviously I, I I had to have I had to be away from the production. Uh, uh, to, to quarantine and then I come back and I do this stunt and then I before I, I thought that I was cleared to go back to the gym but apparently it hadn't been run by everyone through the production and he called me up and he said you know we're gonna have to have a very serious conversation you <laughs> we got a lot riding on this show and and it doesn't work without you and I had to say to him uh you know the past several weeks are not emblematic of, of, of my behavior. I, I promise you, this is a, this is a, this is a fluke at the same time. The only way to prove that is over time. Yeah. And, you know, so it's one of those things where you want to snap your fingers and make everything better, but you can't. So yeah. that being said, we got through the rest of the season and uh, I think we have something good in our hands. I, I gather part of this comes out of, the education of Arrow, where you, you know, it was a very physical show as well. So you sure. kind of know what you kind of had a sense, I guess, as, as a physical actor. And I don't think that's, I know you don't take that as an insult. You yeah. had a sense of what your body could and couldn't do here, I'm assuming. Yeah. And I, and I get, I get more of a sense. I get more of a sense over, over time. You know, I was pretty bullish and pretty headstrong in the early days of Arrow. And that goes into one, another one of the reasons why I wanted to move on pr professionally is, when you're on a show and you only have a two month break for the, for eight years, um, you know, I, I got onto that show and I was somewhat short tempered on set. Uh, I was easily bothered by, by any sort of distraction. Um, I didn't necessarily consider my, my fellow actors and scene partners as much as maybe, maybe I, sh maybe I should have. And I, I constantly learned lessons throughout the course of the eight years on that show but that's sort of like you don't notice someone growing when they're constantly in front of you so uh, you know by the end of it I had a wonderful relationship with the cast and especially with the crew and all the people that became my family over my eight years there but I felt like I couldn't really I couldn't really be my true self or or until I had a chance once again to make a first impression and all the things that I got to learn on Arrow, I got to I got to bring with me to heels, which is why it really does feel like 
like a graduation of sorts. Now, I know for a fact that speaking of graduations, um, Mr. D'Alessandro is dying to ask you about Code 8. Mm -hmm. tell, tell us about expanding that franchise and, and, well, and how that came about and how you're continuing it. So the original Code 8, we set out in around 2015. We, we did a short film as proof of concept for a crowdfunding campaign. Crowdfunding campaign, um, I, I played a large part in that uh, because of, of my presence on social media and the, the fan base and family and following that I cultivated uh, over the first several years of Arrow. Um, and people knew me a lot from some from a lot of philanthropic endeavors. So that, I don't know, they just, people were willing to jump on board. We ended up with the most successful um, crowdfunding campaign for a movie in, in Canadian history, as well as I think the first project ever, we got $3 million from Telefilm. We paid every cent of it back, which I don't think has ever happened before. And, wow. and I want to point out, both, both Stephen and I are born in Canada. So to the yes. taxpayers of the great white North, he did you solid. <laughs> Thank you. And for anyone that doesn't know, tele Telefilm is something that the Canadian government sponsors that it, that they give money for project in the arts with, with Canadian content or Canadian talent, as the case may be. So we set out and then 20, gosh, was it 2016 or 2017? The years really do blend together. I believe it was 2017. We filmed, um, you know, we filmed the original Code 8 in Toronto. Um, they had me for exactly a month and we got it done. Um, it, it took, you know, it, it took a couple of years um, to, well, I guess about a year and a half to do all the visual effects on it. And, and we came out with, with a movie that, um, you know, did really well on, on iTunes and various platforms, but yeah. then shot to number one on Netflix when they gave it a bit of a window and people seemed to really dig it. Um, I think the, that the short film was proof of concept that we could do the movie, but the movie was proof of concept that we can do the sequel that we're shooting uh, this October in Toronto. Netflix, uh, Netflix gave us a sizable chunk of change and agreed to completely leave our director, Jeff Chan alone until he submits the movie. God mm -hmm. bless them because that's, that's really exciting. It, it's certainly a sink or swim moment, but the script is great. And I, I think of it a lot like I mean, not to the scale of these movies by any stretch of the imagination, so please don't take the quote out of context, but um, Terminator 2 was kind of what James Cameron wanted to do with Terminator, but didn't have the, didn't have the, the means to do. Or the there is technology. no way we're ever going to take that quote out of context, because <laughs> that, that, that fucking, sorry, not supposed to say that, <laughs> that nailed it. Let's be clear. T2 is the Terminator movie. That's correct. 100%. <laughs> It, it's yeah. exactly. I mean, the podcast that I really enjoy, the rewatchables. They 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 made that they made that point really well. That 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 T two is like okay, Cameron proved it with Terminator and solidified it with Aliens, but but now he he's coming back and you know Robert Patrick is gonna is gonna ooze through bars and people are gonna go what the fuck is going on? Yeah. So uh, I'm really pumped for for Code Eight. We've we've got we've got I I think 40, 45 days to shoot the movie this time. Uh, shooting days and we've got a, a monster crew coming with us in Toronto uh, we're starting filming right after I think two big HBO series uh, wrap and people are clamoring to get onto the project so we can expect that fingers crossed um, can we ask you a cat can we ask you obviously you and Robbie are going to be in it 
But are we going to see a certain Fast and Furious veteran joining you too? Uh, I would. Hope so. <laughs> Um, we've got to, we've got to, we, we don't, we don't, I don't, I think we're still making some choices on, on casting, but there's a, you know, there's a, there's a young lady, um, in the, in the sequel that, that, that's really, that's really pivotal and, uh, has a, has a, a, a power, a special ability that we, we don't see in the first movie. And again, just, just breaking out the world of Lincoln city and it's, uh, I'm really, I'm really pumped for it. And Jeff, our director, is—I um, mean, he's been locked in on this I, for like a year and a half now. So can't wait to get filming. What uh, else do you have in development um, beyond Co the Code Eight sequel? Well, just the Code Eight sequel right now. I'm I'm waiting to hear uh, about season two of Heels because my my assumption is that if we get a second season, we would start basically at the beginning of 2022, and it, it, uh, I have not been, I have not been seeking out opportunities. Uh, a couple, a couple of things have, have come up since we've wrapped and I have, uh, very, very respectfully sort of, uh, pushed back on them because I, I want people to, I want people to see me in, I want people to see me in heels and, and, and maybe think a little, a little differently about um, you know where I am as an actor and what my what my place in the industry should be. Well, your place in the industry, Stephen, should definitely be with us, or at least for today. And we really thank you for joining us. Heels debuts on Stars on August fifteenth. Oh. Hey, if you're, as I'm just going to paraphrase what the man said: come for the wrestling, stay for the drama. Thank you so much for joining us today, Stephen. Oh, you're so welcome, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Deadline Podcast, Hero Nation. I'm sure you're you read us and listen to us on Deadline, but make sure you listen to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Subscribe so you never miss an episode. And you can find all of our breaking news coverage of TV, film, business, and everything affecting our industry at Deadline.com. Have a great week, superheroes. We'll talk to you soon. Ciao. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.